always a good thing to see families attending Mass with Mom on Mother's Day. And we want to start things off the right way, and that is with a blessing for all the mothers, grandmothers, stepmothers, godmothers, anyone who plays the role of mother for a child. Ladies, we would ask you to stand up. Mothers, godmothers, grandmothers, stepmothers, foster mothers, fairy godmothers. <laughs> Ladies, please bow your heads as we pray God's blessing. O oh, most kind and loving Father, in your wisdom you chose that each of us should know the gift of life through the loving sacrifice of a mother. We ask the intercession of our Blessed Mother, the Virgin Mary, the Mother of Jesus and the Church, to be upon all the mothers, grandmothers, godmothers, and stepmothers here present, upon those who are living and those who have died in hopes that they too might rise to life with you. Watch over them as they have watched over their children. Love them as they have loved their children. Shower them with your mercy and kindness, and may they be justly rewarded for all that they are, all that they say, and all that they give for the love of their children, grandchildren, and godchildren. With special care, guard all those who are pregnant and those who seek to bear children, and may Almighty God bless you and keep you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Happy Mother's Day, ladies. Let's hear it for them. Yep. Much wiser decision to have your kids come with you to church than to allow them to cook for you, okay? You'll live longer. And now for inspiration, a modern Mother's Day parable to give warmth to your hearts. It's called A Gift for Mom. Three adult children left home and went out on their own and were very prosperous. And they thought their mother who raised them all on their own had a lot to do with that. So as adults, they came together to decide what it was that they were going to give their elderly mother for Mother's Day, sensing they wouldn't have her with them that much longer. The oldest son, Milton, said, I saved up all my money and I finally built her her big dream house. The second son, Marvin, said, I saved up my money to buy her a Mercedes with its own chauffeur. Melvin, the youngest son, smiled and said to his older brothers, I've got you both beat, boys. You know how mom enjoys the Bible, but she can't see well enough to read it anymore. So I sent her a parrot that can recite the whole thing. It took 20 monks in a monastery 12 years to teach it. I had to pledge to contribute to the monastery $100,000 a year for a decade, but it was all worth it. Mom only has to name the chapter and verse, and the parrot will recite that verse for her. Mother's Day came and went, the gifts were exchanged, and afterward, the elderly mother decided to write thank you notes to her sons. To her eldest, Milton, she wrote, the house you built is so huge. I live in only one room, but I have to clean the whole thing. Thanks anyway. To Marvin, the middle son, she wrote, I'm too old to travel. I stay home all the time, so I never use the Mercedes, and that driver isn't very nice to me. But to her youngest son, the apple in her eye, to Melvin, she wrote, you were the only son to have the good sense to know what your mother really likes. That chicken was delicious. <laughs> I didn't write it, okay? All throughout this Easter season, we have been on a journey with the apostles. In the Lenten season, we were journeying with Jesus up to the cross at Jerusalem. Since then, we've been reading Luke's sequel to his gospel, the Acts of the Apostles that tell us about the triumphs and tribulations experienced by early Christian ancestors in the first three decades after Jesus died and rose from the dead. Today we find ourselves at the beginning of chapter 8, 
And it's a pinnacle moment for the early Christian community. Why? Because in the previous chapter, the church's greatest enemy became the church's greatest advocate. That was Saul of Tarsus. Up in chapter 6 of Acts, he was persecuting Christians, Gentiles, basically anybody who wasn't a Pharisee. People were experiencing bloodshed and death. But then in chapter 7, the previous chapter, he was on his way to Damascus to kill even more people. But God stopped him in his tracks. Paul was blinded for three days. And when he opened his eyes, he never saw anything the same way again. Those he hated, he now loved. Instead of killing Christians, he was going to go out making them. Instead of looking down his nose at the Gentiles, he was going to preach the gospel to them. And so for a period, the persecution of our Christian ancestors was paused. Only by Saul, not by Rome. That just kept on going. But as news of his conversion spread, the gospel was catching on like wildfire, all in the known world of that time, in all the continents circling the Mediterranean Sea. And anywhere the apostles went, in every port, city, or village, people came from the countrysides and the highways and the byways to hear them preach and to hope that they might experience a miracle that they prayed for and longed for. And Philip was experiencing great success. He was casting out demons. He was making crippled people walk again. All kinds of illnesses were cured. But the reason why he has come to Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel, full of pagans and Gentiles, was not just to preach, not just to teach, not just to heal, but also to fix something. And we are told by Luke what it was in the first reading today. Luke points out that some people in Samaria were baptized but the Holy Spirit had not come upon them. How did that happen? Well, it turns out their baptism fell a little bit short because Luke tells us they were only baptized in the name of Jesus. Next Sunday, the 40th day of Easter, will be commemorated in this and every Catholic church. It is Jesus' heavenly homecoming, where after six weeks of appearing on the earth following his resurrection, he finally goes back to the heavenly Jerusalem. In next Sunday's gospel, we'll hear Jesus' parting words in the gospel of Matthew, his last command to his apostles as they seek to go and announce the kingdom of God. He tells them, go out to all the nations, baptizing them in the name, and he's very specific, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Whoever was doing the baptisms of Samaria to do it only in Jesus' name, well, that didn't fulfill Jesus' great command. They had fallen short at becoming fully initiated in the faith, and that's why the Holy Spirit did not come down upon them. This still exists in the world today. Jesus founded one church, but there are 34,000 different denominations of Christianity at worship today just in the United States and just as we have many different beliefs about scripture and morality, there are many different beliefs about baptism. Some Christian faiths practice it, others do not, and even then, some do it differently. There are some who baptize in the name of Jesus, just as they were at Samaria. But that's not an obedience to Jesus' own command to baptize them into the Trinity, which the Catechism tells us is the essential Christian doctrine. And thus it was that in order to be able to make the Holy Spirit come down upon Samaria and all the newly baptized Christians there, that baptism in Jesus' name had to be corrected. And how did Philip do it? Not by re-baptizing them. We believe in one Lord, one faith, one baptism, but by laying hands on them and calling down upon them the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And that action 
that laying on of hands, that calling down of the Holy Spirit is something that has been preserved in our Catholic Christian tradition for 2,000 years. It happens all the time. Yesterday, there was an ordination of deacons performed by our bishop in Lansing. Eight new permanent deacons for service in our diocese, two transitional deacons who, the good Lord willing, and the cricks don't rise, will be priests a year from now. But during the act of ordination, a bishop lays hands on the candidate calling down the Holy Spirit upon them, and that is the moment at which they are changed forever to become the deacon and or the priest or bishop. The laying on of hands is also performed in this and every church during the RCIA, the Rite of Christian Initiation of Adults. We saw it at this 1030 Mass all throughout the Lenten season as the elect and candidates for reception into communion with the church were brought up here for the penitential rites and the scrutinies. I laid hands on them, calling down the Holy Spirit to be upon them. And it happens in every single Mass right on this and every altar. After we all sing, holy, 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 Lord, God of hosts, the priest calls down the Holy Spirit on gifts of bread and wine that they might become the body and blood of Christ. The Holy Spirit coming down, that's Pentecost. That's two Sundays from now. That's the conclusion of the Easter season, but the beginning of the church. Remember that during those first 50 days after Jesus died and rose from the dead, apostles like Philip, they didn't preach or teach to anyone. They didn't baptize a single soul because they weren't convinced or convicted that Jesus was truly risen. It was only when the Holy Spirit came down as tongues of fire and a rushing of wind at Pentecost, it drove out the darkness. It took their fears away and filled them with faith. And then those who were afraid to die like Christ were willing to give their lives for Christ and for the church. As 10 of the 12 of those apostles would go on to be martyrs, true witnesses for the faith. It is that same Holy Spirit that Jesus promised in the gospel today at the Last Supper. We're still listening to chapter 14 of John. We started it last week with Jesus telling us, Do not let your hearts be troubled. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He has made it clear that he's going away and that it is the Father's plan. But he's saying that when he goes, another one is going to be sent. And he says, another advocate. What does that mean, to be an advocate? Well, lawyers are advocates. When we're in trouble with the law, we want someone to defend us and to get us set free. Jesus has defended us against our greatest foes, sin, Satan, and death. And the Holy Spirit defends us still, pleading for us before God the Father that he might show us a mercy we do not deserve, but we desperately need. And it is that Holy Spirit that gives rise to the church. It wouldn't exist without it. It is that Holy Spirit of God that makes the Bible, inspired human authors. We wouldn't have it without it. We wouldn't have faith without the Holy Spirit of God giving us the ability to comprehend these mysteries and separate them out from the mythologies that this world is trying to sell us. And so then, my friends, as we and Catholics and Christians everywhere continue our journey through Easter, continue our journey through the book of Acts, it's all heading towards the Pentecost, my friends, when we pray once again that through the laying on of hands we might call down that Holy Spirit for a new springtime of faith in the church, in our families, and in our hearts.